Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Around the world uh, on the interwebs and uh, across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It is the Michael Duke Show. Good morning to you this wet and wild and windy Thursday. Uh, pretty much across the state of Alaska this morning, there is, uh, uh, I mean, apparently this whole new thing just blew in and it is going to be windy and rainy. Uh, we've got uh, wind advisories going on up in the Fairbanks area that is, uh, uh, I mean, for like 40 to 70 mile an hour winds up in the flats, Tanana Flats and Deltana. Uh, we've got rain advisories going all the way out. Uh, they're supposed to, they're expecting like six to eight inches of rain uh, for Valdez and Cordova. There's a flood watch uh, north of Anchorage and into Denali and then east of Glen Allen and Delta Junction. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just a huge, huge storm that is spreading across the state of Alaska. And uh, I'll tell you right now, my dogs don't like it. They went out this morning and they did not like that at all. The wind and the rain and everything else. So, you know, it's going to have ample moisture. That was one of the comments from one of the, I was reading the thing this morning. It says, this is a large storm with ample moisture. Six to eight inches of rain. Yeah, I'd call that ample moisture. Residents are warned to watch for rises in water levels in local waterways in areas that are affected by heavy rain. So, if you live down in the flood areas, oof, man, not a great way to, uh, not a great way to start your fall time, huh? I'm just, just you'll be glad when you're living up on that mountaintop. That's what's going on right now, but yeah, up to seventy miles an hour in winds on the uh, uh, in the Fairbanks area, and it's it's windy here uh, in Wasilla as well. So it, I don't know. It, it, you know, this summer has, I mean, can I just, i just going to say this, I'm only going to say it once, but man, this summer has just been so sucky. It's weird, right? I mean, the whole first part of the summer, it was like hot and dry, not a drop of rain for weeks at a time. And then once the tap opened, it was like they just couldn't figure out how to shut it off. We don't have a wrench big enough to shut off that drip because it has just been raining forever. Uh, but I guess... All things being said, it's still better than snow. That's that's I guess if all things being equal, um, it's uh it it would just say, let's just say, you know, at least it's not snow. That's for sure. Um and I, I keep making the joke about seeing all the animals two by two and a big boat down the street, but uh if uh if it if it keeps up, this is what it's gonna be like for the rest of the thing. Um, all right. Um, <clears throat> so what's on the program today? Well, my friends, we've got a couple things going on here. 
We got two guests. Uh, we're going to be talking this morning with Ron Gillum, uh, who's going to be joining us uh, in just a few minutes. We'll be talking with him about uh, his run for re-election down on the peninsula. And then we will uh, shift uh, shift locations right after that. And we're going to be talking with Rob Myers, who is running for state Senate up in the interior. So as I said yesterday, we're going to do our best to pretty much um, uh, to to uh, pretty much uh, fill the fill the whole show bumper to bumper, wall to wall each and every day between now and election day. Uh, I mean, again, only eight weeks away with as many elected officials as we can track down and find. I've been sending out an email this afternoon to uh, the folks who are uh, um, who are listed on the candidates websites. We'll invite everybody. We'll no respecter of persons. We'll be talking to everybody. And hopefully we will um, uh, hopefully we'll we'll get uh, as much information to you prior to the election as possible. That's the plan anyway. So we'll see what happens. Um, we'll see what happens here in the next few weeks. But that's that's the plan right now. That's the plan as we go forward. Um, all right. So uh, what are we going to do in the meanwhile? I suppose we could hit a few headlines here this morning uh, on the way out before we jump into it with uh, with Ron Gillum and Rob Myers. Uh, I think it'd be an interesting uh, some interesting stories that are going on. Uh, across the across the state and across the country, that that storm, of course, was the one of the first things I wanted to talk about. Because wow, I mean, I opened the door this morning, about got blasted back into the kitchen. I was like, "What the heck is going on?" Uh, had no had no indication of that last night. So I apparently, so what happens sometimes when you're not paying attention to the uh, uh, you know paying attention to the news? Uh, all right, well, big news. In the Matsu, um, and it is, as I've mentioned in the past, probably one of the reddest, if not the reddest district in the state. That and the KPB seem to battle it out back and forth as to who can be the most uh, conservative. And uh, and uh, I think, you know, at this point, the Matsu might be winning. They had a couple different issues that came up. Uh, over the last couple of days, and it has been an interesting. It's been an interesting week here in the Matsu Borough. First and foremost, um, on Tuesday, the Matsu Borough Assembly passed a resolution that they were going to hand count the ballots in the November eighth election, deviating away from the use of any kind of electronic voting machine. The resolution, according to KTUU, passed unanimously just before the 10 p.m. close of the meeting. Uh, Mayor Edna DeVries has the power to veto, but told the the KTUU that uh, she does not plan to do so. That resolution came forward after a number of concerns from Matsu Valley residents expressed their distrust in voting machines and questions about a compromise uh, uh, to the integrity of the elections. Um, and, uh, as, uh, uh, as we, as we go forward, D McKee district th- member three sponsored the resolution that was brought forth at the meeting with two others voting to amend it. Um, the proposal seeks to direct the clerk to verify the election results by hand counting all ballots in the upcoming election after the machine counts have been tabulated. 
Voters will cast ballots for two assembly seats, five school board seats. One of the assembly members who moved to amend the uh, resolution was Stephanie Nowers of District 2. She said what she was proposing is that we could do year after year without costing the taxpayers, you know, a ton of money. This would allow us to verify the elections and make sure that all the votes are counted. Um, It uh, said that this method would drastically uh, cut the cost of the taxpayers estimated approximately 240 compared to the estimated $7,000 of the original resolution. Anyway, uh, this is an interesting, um, it's interesting. This is, this is, this has been on a lot of people's minds. Uh, The, uh, you know, the idea that somehow these things are going to, uh, you know, that the machines and that the counting has been suspect Uh, and whether it here's, this is what I've said from the very beginning, whether this is true or not, the perception is there and perception is reality uh, in in a lot of ways. And if we have lose faith in the voting system, if we lose faith in a lot of that, then that, that has troubling repercussions in the long run. And so uh, that's why I've said from the very beginning that even though I don't necessarily, for example, I don't agree with the whole idea that somehow the the nationwide voting was, I agree that there are some severe reg- irregularities in certain areas, but I don't agree that it was some kind of overarching deal and that the president had the, 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 the you know, the, the, I don't agree that the election was stolen. Let me just put it that way. Uh, but at the same time, there's enough irregularities to make me go, we really need to address that because obviously people feel like it was. And if that's the case and we lose faith in the voting system, that's a real problem. It is a true and injurious problem. And, and, and the issue is, is that there's people on both sides of this, ones who are absolutely convinced that it was stolen and those who are absolutely convinced that everyone is just that they're that every idea or every problem is absolutely false and it, there's nothing wrong. Of course, I find it ironic that many of the people on the left who are claiming that there's absolutely nothing wrong with the election system were the same ones in 2016 who were screaming about Russian collusion and bots and everything else. So, I mean, obviously, the truth is somewhere in the middle on that, right? I mean, there's got there's got to be something in there. Um, I applaud the Matsu for going to this method to say, you know, look, we're going to assuage the fears of our voters. This is a, I mean, these are borough elections. We're going to go ahead and we're going to hand count it. We're going to do it right. Okay, good. Now we have assuaged the fears of those voters and we can show them that this is, I mean, we are truly listening and care about what's going on. I mean, the voting is like one of the most important portions of our free society. I mean, we are a republic with a democratic voting system. And if we feel like that voting system is not working, then uh, then we lose faith in the republic itself. And that is the bigger problem overall. That's my thought anyway. Then last night, uh, an emergency meeting was called. Uh, an emergency meeting of the Matsu Borough School District Board, the school board. And uh, it was called because apparently of an incident at Colony High School where a, uh, uh, where a biological male student who apparently identifies as a female went into the locker room with a bunch with a bunch of the actual biological females and uh some of the students there were very uh upset about that 
the mother of a colony uh, of a student at Colony told the board that her daughter was in the locker room and realized there was a biological male in the locker room with her, according to the ADN. She also said she received threats and harassing voice uh, uh, harassing messages rather after voicing her concerns publicly. So they got down and they had this meeting. And in a vote of five to one last night, the Matsuburo School District uh, Board voted to halt the existing policy, which has been in place for like seven years at this point. And that uh, the recommendation from the board's three-member policy committee was based on actions from a federal judge in Tennessee. This is back in like 2015 where they had said, well, you know, kids could go into bathrooms based on what they identified as. And so now what will happen is that uh, transgender students can use locker rooms and bathrooms that match their uh, their gender at birth or use individual bathrooms and locker rooms that provide privacy. I mean, they have some private bathrooms where you don't have to – nobody else has to be in there with you. That's what the That's what the whole thing is. Which, again, was my question as to why didn't they just have that policy in place to be – I mean, that literally helps, you know, fixes the whole problem. Um, but uh, anyway, so there were hundreds – this was a standing – the pictures of this place, I mean, just doesn't do it justice. There's hundreds of people in this room. It was standing room only. And for over an hour, people testified essentially 100 percent against the – Borough School District's uh, uh, current uh, policy, and it has since been changed. So uh, good. I mean, that's that's good. The interesting suspended policy said um, that for restrooms, a student shall not be required to use a separate gender-neutral facility over his or her objections. So that means if there's some student that is biologically one and identifies as the other, they shouldn't be required to use a separate facility. They shouldn't be required to use a pre- – which, I mean, I don't know. It's, if, I, it's, all I can say is if you're going to go against the flow and you're going to do this thing, why wouldn't you just want a private bathroom? Why would you want to uh, – I think there was an interesting comment from the student representative who said, a student's use of the bathroom has become an over-sexualized conversation amongst persons outside of the school – um, well, there's a reason for that. There's a reason why uh, this uh, there's a reason why this conversation has fallen into that oversexualized category, and partially it has to do with the sexual nature of this whole thing. And uh, I don't know why you should find that surprising, but uh, anyway, all right. Well, we're going to jump into this here, and uh, we're going to uh, uh, we're going to uh, uh, get over to our guest here in just a hot second we will continue it is the michael duke show common sense liberty based free thinking radio good morning to you up next it's ron gillum running for state house re-election in district seven he's the current rep down there we're going to talk with him in just a minute don't go anywhere the michael duke show common sense liberty based free thinking radio Regularly heard on American radio. 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 Radio.
Okay. Hey, look at that. Ron Gillum is in the chat room. I see him, or he's in the green room. I see him hanging out over there. Oh, I needed a little go juice this morning. Um, pouring rain, pouring rain. Um, just going back through the comments here real quick, uh, before I jump into it with Ron. Usually the nasty arrives with the fair and hangs through moose season, says Brian. I mean, it's been this way since July. I mean, let's be honest. Is it really, how many, how many nice days has there been going on out there? Yeah, and Vic dying. Vic Coring was the uh, was uh, the victim of an accident on the Glen Highway. Uh, he, hello, um, uh, would uh, die uh, died in a head on collision. Uh, his uh, little Toyota minivan crossed over the center line and crashed head on into a semi. No reason given yet why the Toyota crossed over. No, uh, no. Uh, no answers there. I don't know exactly what's going on. Um, but he passed away. That was on, uh, I think it was on Monday. Interior has been absolutely beautiful. A little rain here and there. Sunshine and beautiful fall color, says Doty. Yep. Well, I mean, I guess I'll take my wet and rainy over the deep cold of the winter. I love Fairbanks, Doty. Don't get me wrong. I love the people. I love everything. But I do not miss a single minute of winter in in the interior. Nope. Not a single a single minute of winter. Um, going down here. Property. People are talking about property taxes. Who pays taxes in Alaska? Um, I'm going through here. Bah, 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 bah. Property tax bill you're more than welcome to cover. Uh, Lance Mackey passed away last night. Yeah. Um, um just still going through here. Women have clean restrooms. There was a lot of upset parents, said somebody at that meeting. It was Melody, said at the meeting last night. Time to homeschool, said Sandy. Um, all right. Whew. All right. I've, I've scrolled through most of the comments, but I want to get over to Ron here and make sure that we're all, we're all good to go and see what's going on. Good morning, Ron. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Michael. How about yourself? Good, good. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh yeah, you're fine. You sound uh, you sound good this morning. And are you all uh, you all ready to uh, you all ready to rock and roll here and get things uh, going? I am. Okay, good. Well, good, fantastic. Well, we're gonna jump into it here in just a hot minute. Don't uh, don't uh, don't go anywhere. I'm gonna put you back into the green room here real quick. Now that we've tested it and we're all good, uh, we will uh, get to this here in just a moment. Uh, hey, uh, would you do me a favor? Um, I know I'm constantly harping on you guys to go over to um, uh, go over to uh, uh, YouTube and to like and subscribe over there. Um, if you get a chance, I'm also decided that I'm going to branch out on my Twitch channel as well. So if you haven't had a chance, and I see some of you already have, uh, I'm looking for 15 more followers on Twitch. I can become part of their affiliate thing if I get it all squared away. I need 15 more followers. Uh, so if you get a chance this morning or today, sometime, you think about it, go over to twitch.tv slash Michael Duke Show and, uh, and follow the show over there. You'd have to create an account. I know it's a pain in the butt. But if you do that, that'll be, uh, that'll be great. I would appreciate that. 
Um, there's some interesting news and talk podcasts and channels over there, uh, but uh, it would be uh, it's a it, it'd be an interesting thing. What the hell is Twitch? Twitch is another. Pro- it's like YouTube. It's like Facebook Live. It's a video platform. It's the third platform that I work for. I, I have I do Facebook and YouTube and Twitch. So there you go. Uh, but anyway, uh, if you haven't or if you've already liked the YouTube channel, go on over to Twitch if you want to. I only need 15 over there. I'm still trying to get 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. That's like pulling teeth. I might as well shoot for the moon. All right. Well, you know what that means. Time to get back into it. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense. Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like it, share, like it, share, like it, follow. Let's get to it. Here we go. All right. Uh, welcome back to the program. We're continuing now, getting ready to jump into it. As I said, you know, only eight weeks to the big election. And so I try to bring you as much information, entertainment, education, and enlightenment. That's what we try and do in this program every day. And uh, we're going to try and talk to all the different uh, candidates and politicos that we can prior to the election. So uh, let's get things started over here. We jump in with Ron Gillum, who is a current uh, legislator, uh, representative for House District 7, and of course running for re-election in that same district. And, uh, and he joins us uh, right now. Good morning, Ron. How, uh, how are you doing this morning? I am doing great, Michael. How about yourself? Good, good. Are you staying dry down there or is it, uh, is it as wet there as it is here? Well, I haven't been outside yet. It's still dark. Okay. But I did see, I have a flag right outside my window and I did see it's blowing a little bit. But. Yeah, it's uh, definitely, if you if you have dogs, you'll know because they'll immediately drag you outside first thing in the morning in the wet and the rain and the wind. <laughs> so it's all good. Um, yeah, we have one that's a coward. Yeah, he just stays inside. Just stays inside. Doesn't I don't want to go out. He's like one of the he's like one of the new teenagers. All I want to do is sit on the couch and watch videos. That's all he does all day long. So it's a it's a good yeah. Um all right, Ron. Well, let's um let's dive into it this morning. Um, you know, here we are post-election. We've had a chance to see how everything has played out. We've seen the surprise in the congressional race. We've seen what can happen with ranked choice voting. We're kind of now in the uh, the aftermath of that. What are your thoughts as we uh, as we take a look at this thing and see how everything shook out? What are your thoughts um, uh, for the post-election season right now? Well, um, my personal feelings on ranked choice voting is it did what it was supposed to do, uh, unfortunately. Um, and with the Begich and Palin and, and Patola race, you know, the the one person that really nobody thought ever had a chance actually won. So the the ranked choice voting actually did what it was it was meant to do. And uh, so what worries me is with uh, the Senate race, you know, it was basically put in place to keep Lisa Murkowski in uh, in office and also to get bill walker back in office so we're going to have to be very careful 
uh, with how we vote. Um, you know, nobody wanted to rank Sarah Palin and Nick Begich one and two either way. And, you know, so a lot of them just voted for one. Um, you know, it, every race is different. So you're going to have to look at it, do a little bit of studying and, and choose what's going to work best, um, you know, for the state, not just for yourself, but for the state. Right. So, you know, and the governor's race is going to be real tricky. You know, we've got four, four people, um, two good, two not so good. And, uh, you know, it's going to be real tricky. If you don't want somebody in there, do not vote for them. So, right. you know, choose your top two and, and just vote for those two. Well, it's interesting that the bullet voters, um, uh, it's interesting that the bullet voters had such a prominent effect on the election, especially, you know, specifically in the, in the congressional race. Um, I mean, as you pointed out, people voted for one, 20% of Nick Begich's uh, voters who voted for him in the first round voted for him and him alone. And those 20% who refused to vote for Sarah Palin or anybody else, they could have decided the election one way or the other. I mean, they obviously did decide the election one way or the other, yeah. but they could have decided the election in a different way by simply voting and ranking the red, as many have talked about, holding their nose and voting for Palin, whether it was anti-Palin sentiment or whether it was anti-ranked choice voting sentiment. Either way, it shows the importance of if there's multiple candidates in the race that you're ranking those candidates that you really can align with and not ranking any ones you can't. Yeah, what was a surprise was that there there was fifteen thousand people that voted for, um, I believe it's for Nick that voted for Patola second, and that you know you're talking about ranked a red, but that didn't happen. They 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 didn't vote for Nick. They voted against Sarah Palin, and you know you really can't do that in this kind of a a voting system. So. Yeah, and people are so confused, and they still are. You know, I talk to people every day, and they're going, you know, what happened? What happened? And all you can do is say, you know, this system was put in place to keep Lisa Murkowski and to get Bill Walker back in office, and it worked like a charm. So you're going to have to do some studying. We're going to have to do some talking and just explain. Now we know who the candidates are. Now we have yeah. a way to go forward. Before, we didn't know, but now we do. So now we, we know how to kind of work it. Right. But now in one way, your uh, your election is a little bit simpler uh, because there's only two candidates. There's only two of you. You're both registered Republicans. Uh, and yet uh, that 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 today means a uh, lot that 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 today means a lot less than what uh, many people uh, seem to, to think it means. I mean, being two registered Republicans, you guys have got completely different philosophies on many things I've discovered. Uh, you could no longer just walk into a vote. I mean, this is this has been Alaska for the last 10, 12, 15 years. You could no longer just walk into a voting booth and, pull, you know, scan your finger down the ballot and just punch the ballot for all the R's on the ballot and say, I did my due diligence and that was it. You've got to look and see because... Uh, one person's Republican is not another person's Republican these days. So there's a lot of differences uh, going on, but at least it is a race between just the two of you at this point. Let's talk about your race. Uh, what separates you out from your opponent, uh, Ruffridge, 
what is uh, you know what what is wrong? Gillum bring to the table here that uh, the uh, that your opponent is not at this point. Well, one thing that I bring is the experience of being down there for one session already. You know, I've already been working with the other uh, members of the of the group and trying to build the uh, relationships that it's going to take to keep things going. Um, you know, I can't. We can't keep replacing somebody every two years because you don't have the seniority, and you know it. It just doesn't work. So I built that seniority. That's what it takes to get the chairmanships, and uh, you know that's the main difference. Um, and we do have some very different philosophies. Uh, my opponent has already said that he would join with the Democrat if they were in a majority. I will not. Um, you know, I, I was, it was said that I chose to be in a minority and that is not true. Uh, you know, they left us. So it's right. kind of a, a strange thing to hear that, but, uh, right. you know, I'm trying to do what's best for the people of Alaska, um, not for myself. Um, I've got 40 years in, in the oil and gas field. I've got 35 years in the fisheries. Um, I think experience is, is the biggest difference between the two of us. He's a pharmacist, and that's what he is. So I've, I've been around a long time. I've done a lot of things. Uh, so, you know, he can, he can, he's a real smooth talker. Um, I'm a doer. He's a talker. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, there, he's, he's, he's pulling a lot of people in by his smooth talking. And uh, so you just got to be real careful. Study your candidates. Dig into what they are. Find right. out who they are. Well, like um, I, I think my main point of this whole thing is that you can't just look at the at the affiliation on the ballot and say, you know, that's how I'm going to choose these days. Because again, I don't think the labels, and I've been saying this for quite a while, but I don't think the labels are as descriptive as they used to be. Just because somebody is an R or a D or an elephant or a donkey or whatever, that really doesn't mean anything because I think what is really going on in the state of Alaska is that there is two camps that are not necessarily affiliated with political parties, that instead it is affiliated with a philosophy of pro-government, pro-public sector spend, protecting that, versus pro Private sector, pro public, you know, pro uh, the 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 average person, um, you know, pro or smaller government, pro for a smaller government, and that is really the the dividing line. And we've got people on both sides of the aisle who are cross mingled in both of these two camps, and I think that is really why people need to be paying attention. Yeah, well, if you look around the state, there's a lot of people with an R by their name who actually are not. Um, they have finally started to realize that without that R, they don't have a chance of winning. Uh, in a Massu Valley, down here on the peninsula, if you don't have an R by your name, there's a really good chance you're not going to win. Right. So they've started to use that in their favor. They haven't changed who they are. But uh, so, like I said, you're going to have to vet your candidates. Um, go through, look at their web pages, talk to people in around town. And uh, just find out who they are. So, like I said, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go negative against the guy. Right. Um, well, differences. I've done enough. 
You know, I have a record. I think differences in policies is not necessarily negative, but uh, you know, if if somebody if you know if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, then quite possibly it's a duck. So if all the policy positions that are being espoused, um, you know, anti PFD, pro bigger government, pro you know, then it, you know. It may not be labeled as a Democrat or as a big government person, but if all the talking points are that, then I would say that that's what that is. It's not necessarily negative. You're not attacking the person directly. We're talking policies. So that's where we now slip into policies and we start talking about that. Ron Gillum on the permanent fund dividend check. Um, you've been a pro PFD guy, pro full statutory PFD uh, DFD guy from the beginning. And in fact, I remember when you first started to run for office, it was it was uh, it was during that time, and it was due to the fact that you originally ran against Peter Machicki because he was one of the architects of SB twenty six, which we you know dissected on my show ad nauseum. And uh, and and that was one of the reasons I remember you saying that was one of the reasons why you originally ran. So you are definitely pro PFD at this point. That I am. And uh, when we were voting on the budget, trying to concur, uh, the main reason for that vote to concur was because of the full statutory lawful dividend. And my opponent sent me a, an email says don't concur. So that told me. That he's not for a full dividend, even though he said, "Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm for a full dividend, but don't concur." And uh, that that spoke a lot. So, you know, we had the money. Um, you know, if we're going to spend it, give it to the people. And and this year, people can use the money. They are hurting all across this state. People are hurting. Right. We had the money. We had the the resources to help them. And. You know the the majority shut it down, right? And uh, I I, just, I don't understand that how how you can look across look at your constituents and go yeah I know you guys are broke and I know you're you know you're having trouble buying food but but that's okay you know we're going to take your money and we're going to spend it on all these special interests because government needs it more I mean really government needs yeah. it more than you need it and we know better than you how to spend your money that uh, that seems to be the common political refrain throughout the uh, throughout the uh, the whole the, well the whole political world is at large uh, Ron Gillum is our guest uh, GOP representative from District 7 uh, we're going to take a quick break uh, going to get Ron here on hold for a second we're going to come back uh, don't go anywhere the Michael Duke show continues we're going to continue with Ron Gillum and get more information we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the policies including uh, discussions on uh, uh, the budget, uh, the fiscal policy working group, defined benefits, the con con. This is all directly ahead, and we'll get those answers from Ron Gillum in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, uh, in the break right now, uh, Ron Gillum is our guest. He's here with us uh, on the... uh, on the, uh, I was going to say on the phone, but it's actually on on the video, so it's a uh, good go. Um, let me see. I'm just scrolling backwards here, and 
man, lights clicking and flashing this morning. I keep waiting for the apocalypse to happen. It's uh, I don't know if it's the wind or what. Um, Randy says this morning people should listen to the Michael Duke show so as to be up to speed on how the election systems work. Uh, you know, I, I think I think most people who are in the political world or who are super voters, as I would categorize most of the listeners to this show, I think most of them know how it works. The problem is there's a lot of people out there that just have not paid attention and have no idea uh, what they're not paying attention. They don't know until they step into the voting booth. Uh, there are people who didn't vote in the primary who will be very surprised when it comes to the general because they have never they just haven't been paying attention. They're just living their lives, not paying attention. Uh, Kevin McCabe, uh, Ron is a conservative small government guy who understands the issues and is willing to work. He believes in a statutory PFD. He's an ardent pro-lifer and a genuine player, team player. Ruffridge was the chair of the pharmacy board during the Ivermectin, uh, Ivermectin versus COVID debacle. Uh, and that's true too. Uh, I know he was on the forefront of, uh, making healthcare decisions for people who that decision should be between them and their doctor. Uh, that shouldn't be uh, that shouldn't be in the pharmacist's hands, but it was. Um, uh, on uh, his political page, Ruffridge stated that we have an excellent education system. He said we need to have a defined benefit system, and one of his priorities will be getting it implemented. The Republican women of the Kenai declined to endorse him. I would say that you're right. Again, Ron, this whole thing is is that every you know you could have a whole lineup of Republicans, and it's like 31 flavors, right? I mean, on the whole, you get you get a whole lineup of them, and every one of them is different because that's how it works. You mentioned it. You people have discovered I can't. I have a much better chance of getting elected if I have an R next to my name. I have a much lesser chance of being elected if I have a D next to my name. Maybe if I become an independent, then I can kind of squeak in between that. We've seen that happen too, where many who were D's are now independents kind of thing, Bryce Edgman and et cetera. Um, but I mean, this is, this is, you've got to study the candidates. Exactly. Um, that's why I say you need to vet your candidates. Go through and look at their websites, but that's not all you need to do. Um, you know, my opponent has a voting record. Go to the city hall and look at his look at his voting record. He claims to be um, medical freedom, but he voted three different times to keep people masked. He voted twice to keep the emergency declarations going, which kept businesses shut down. So. You know, what he says is one thing. What he does is a whole totally opposite. Right. And, uh, you know, he's got a record. So do I. I voted against the mask. Um, I fought that as I was one of the few in the in the Capitol building that didn't wear a mask. Of course, on the floor, you kind of had to, you know, Louise would throw a fit if you didn't. And, uh, you know, she'd kind of run you off. But but anywhere else, you know, I didn't wear a mask. And. Uh, you know, it's up to us to decide what we're going to do. Um, you know, Representative Kevin McCabe, he didn't wear a mask. Mike Shower, he didn't wear a mask. But, you know, in time, people kind of get the idea that, hey, this is not working. You know, but when you have a sitting supposedly representative who is pushing you to wear a mask or, you know, to keep an emergency declaration going, they're not pushing for medical freedom. They're right. they're looking for power. Right. It's at that point. It's about it's about control. It is about control for sure. Um, we're going to get into this here in just a second, Ron, uh, and talk about some of the um, 
uh, talk about some of the policy differences. Um, specifically, we are going to talk about the defined benefits program for sure, because uh, that's a big sticking point um, uh, for many people. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, the outreach to the people as well. So hold the line for just a second. Uh, Ron Gillum, our guest, we're going to be back with him here in just a moment. Um, uh, like I, uh, Bill make, does make an interesting point. Um, and, uh, but I guess this is part of the, this is part of the personal responsibility factor when it comes to voting. Bill says, like, I have time to go to city hall to look at other people's voting records. Sorry, Ron, but working folk don't have time for things like that. Well, uh, yeah, it is their responsibility, but also this behooves us to educate our friends and neighbors, to educate our, you know, and this is what this is what election time, uh, you know, advertising is for, electioneering and things like that, is to get those points out and say, here's where I stand, here's where my opponent stands. You make your choice. Uh, here's what he says and here's what he does. Uh, you know, walker versus talker kind of thing. I, I walk the walk, but do you, or I talk the talk, but do you walk the walk kind of thing. And so we're going to get into all that here in just a uh, in just a moment, and we'll uh, we'll continue on to this. Uh, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Please like and share this video. As I said earlier, uh, I know I've never asked for this before, but if you want to go over onto Twitch and sign up and follow over there, I only need 15 followers to get to the next level uh, over there. I didn't even realize it till yesterday. Here we go, the Michael Duke Show. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, actually, Brian. Um, good morning and welcome back to the program. Uh, it is the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. We're talking with Ron Gillum, who is uh, the state representative for District 7 down on the peninsula. He's running for re-election. Uh, and uh, he's in a head-to-head race with uh, somebody else in the Republican Party as well. Uh, and right now we're going to talk about policy differences because, as I said earlier, there's a million different flavors of Republican, it appears like today. Uh, and we've got to figure out and wade through the actual details and the, and the nitty-gritty of where people stand on different things. Um, first and foremost, and somebody in the chat room brought it up earlier, that uh, on your opponent's website, he believes in defined benefits and he wants to uh, he wants to get them reinstated. Let's talk for a moment about the defined benefits program and uh, what it had done and why we moved over to a defined contribution program and your thoughts on reinstating that and, uh, you know, where, where you where you stand on it. Well, I'm against the defined benefits um, that that has bankrupted other states. And what it does is, and it took me a while to realize this, what it does is it locks our public officials into a contract, basically, that if they leave, even after 18, 19 years, that money stays with the unions. And uh, they lose that, where a defined contribution, they will take it with them. So, you know, there, there's more to a defined benefit package than just the retirement. Um, you know, I have a, a friend of my son's was in the military for 19 years and six months, and they, for some reason, booted him out. He receives nothing from the military. So the same thing can happen 
with our teachers, with our firefighters, with our police, they can be in there for, you know, 17, 18, 19 years with this defined benefit. And for who knows what reason, just because somebody gets mad at them, they get rid of them. They end up with nothing. So we need to go to a defined or stay with the defined contribution, not the defined benefit. Yeah, well, defined contribution gives you, I mean, first of all, it gives the employee of a, a wide range of choices to do what they want to do because it's defined uh, and, and their investments are controlled and, and defined by them. And again, it's portable and they can do what they need to do. The, but the worst problem with the defined benefits program is that not only does it, as you say, encumber the state with this ongoing contract forever, it is unsustainable. I mean, we saw we were $11 billion upside down in the defined contribution, or excuse me, in the defined benefits um, uh, program. Uh, and I mean, it was going to literally bankrupt the state if we, or they were, they were going to have to, they basically would be a run on the permanent fund to be able to pay that thing. And that's why they went from a tier one, then to a tier three, two, and then three, and then finally tier four with a defined contribution and anything that would reverse that would become, would, would, would again, put that burden and onus of the unfunded liability back on the state. We're just now trying to get a grip on the liability for the tiers one through three. And yet now they're talking, we got multiple people, multiple Republicans talking about reinstating it. I mean, to me, that is the definition of insanity. We've already been there. Uh, we've seen multiple uh, major corporations had to be bailed out by the federal government on their defined benefits program. We've seen, again, as you said, cities and municipalities who have gone bust trying to cover these things. This is, a, I mean, this is a dangerous direction to take the state right now. Yeah, if it didn't work before, why would it work now? I mean, it's already been proven to be bad. So why do we want to go back and we're trying to go forward. We're not trying to go backwards. Well, and uh, this defined benefit thing, you know, like I said, it could bankrupt the state, and I, we don't want to do that. I could tell you why they want to go back to it because it's good for the it's a it's a it is good for the public employee. It gives them a stability, and basically, it's a gold parachute for everything's paid for based on inflation and cost of. I mean, it's a great if you're a tier one state employee who's retired, you're getting a lot. And uh, and that's why they want to go back to it, because, again, it is the philosophy of the public spend takes priority over the private uh, economy. But it's the private sector that keeps people working, keeps people going. Yeah, that, that's the that's the thing. You know, it's the um, the large private companies who have people working for them that pay their taxes that keeps these benefits going. and. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm like I said, I'm against a defined benefit. I am not against people having retirement. Believe me, that that sure. is something that they they've earned and they should be able to keep it. But when you when you have a chance of losing that, say somebody comes in and takes over who doesn't like you, and for some reason they fire you, like I said, you get you end up with nothing. Twenty years working for a, a retirement, and you can and you actually can end up with nothing to where the, the defined contribution, you know, at least you have something you can take with you. Right. Exactly. Now, I believe the state has a five-year vetting period. Or, uh, um, Ten-year, the, yeah, they have to invest. They have to vest themselves. Uh, yeah. 
vesting, sorry, not vetting, right. st- talking candidates. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to see that go down to a year. But, you know, sometimes you know, people change and go to different jobs. Right. But, you know, at least they would have something to take with them. Let's talk for a little bit here about uh, going back. Uh, if you go back into the uh, this next session and, you know, we assume that Ron Gillum is successful and wins, you know, what are we focusing on? We have a couple ideas. We have some roadmaps. The Fiscal Policy Working Group put together a pretty solid plan with several different options uh, this last year, and it was never discussed. I mean, they did all the work, and then everybody patted them on the head and said thank you and then threw the report in the bottom of a drawer, and it never saw the light of day again. Um my question is, it seems to me like a pretty solid roadmap. Is that something that you would ben- you would uh, support bringing out and using as a blueprint for moving forward in the state? Oh, most definitely. That group is an amazing group. I mean, you had hard left people and you had hard right people all on that same group. And, you know, we chose out of our uh, out of our caucus the two best members we could to uh, to be in that group. And they've done a phenomenal job. So we thought we had something to go forward. And I don't think it was put in a drawer. I think they ran it through a shredder. Right. But, uh, you know, yeah, that needs to be brought back. It's something to look at. At least it's a place to start. Um, maybe all, all of the items that are in that don't come out exactly like it was written. But at least it's something to start with. Right. Uh, you know, we have to do something. And uh, what we're doing now is not working. And what that physical policy working group put together, um, that was a phenomenal piece of work by that group of of individuals. Right. So I I would like to bring it back and and, uh, look at and relook at it. Ron Gillum is our guest, uh, he candidate for District 7 down on the peninsula. Ron, one of the things that um, I think people are noticing and uh, is that, you know, there's been several different forums and things like that uh, down in the peninsula, and you have been notably absent from some of them, and people are asking, when are you going to get a chance to go face-to-face with your opponent and answer some of these questions to give people that uh, that difference, to show people the difference between you and your opponent, um, you know, going on radio or public forums or debates or whatever like that. What is your plan in dealing with that? Because people, I mean, people are asking, people are talking about it, and I think it's a valid question uh, that we need to get some of these face-to-faces and head-to-heads. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing the same thing. Um, the two forums that were put together were put on dates that I already had plans. Uh, I went down to a, an, what they called an early education summit that was paid for by the Hunt Institute. It did not come out of my pocket or the state didn't pay for it. The Hunt Institute actually paid for the plane fare and the whole thing. Very interesting uh, summit, believe me. Um, and then the following week was the AOGA summit there in Anchorage. And both of those were already in place before I ever got the invitation to the, uh, to the round table. So it's not that I refused. It's just, I had other commitments and, uh, you know, we're looking at doing something. Um, it, it's, I've talked to people about this and like I said, my opponent is very, very smooth talker. Sure. I am not sure. So how do you debate somebody who has no trouble not telling the truth? 
Well, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it will happen. It makes it more difficult for sure. But at the same time, I think the people deserve to see the differences. Uh, and I think many people will see beyond the, you know, maybe the maybe some average folks or not people who are not super voters or whatever will be taken in by the smoothness or whatever. But they still got to have the chance to see the differences. I mean, that that is imperative that you have to be able to see the differences between the two candidates. And really, the best place for that is in a public forum where you can do it. Ron, uh, we're out of time. Um, give folks how do folks find out more about you? Where do they go? Everything like that. Uh, website is um, Gillum Four House. That's Gillum Number Four House uh, dot com. Or you send me an email at Gillum Four House at Yahoo dot com. That's Gillum F O R. Uh, we are going to have a fundraiser next Wednesday night at the Saldana Trustworthy Hardware Store starting okay, at got, got 6 Okay, got to go, got to go, got to go. Sorry. All right. Uh, I was running up against the clock there, Ron. Sorry about that. Go ahead and finish. Where Where is it going to be? The Trustworthy Hardware in Saldana. It started at 6.15 on the 14th of September. So All right. And I'll give we'll you... there. I'll give you the... Um, I'll give you here a couple minutes here to sum eight. So uh, we, we ran out of the clock there on the regular radio. So here's your chance to make your elevator pitch for folks out there who uh, uh, who have been listening. Uh, and, you know, give us your give us your 60, 90 second elevator pitch on why Ron Gillum is the choice for District 7 down there. Well, because I have the experience uh, to get to get through what it's going to take. Um, you know, I have the. Uh, um, I built the relationships with the people that's going to be back in Juneau on both the Senate and the House side. So, uh, you know, we don't want to keep changing people out every two years. And uh, so the main thing is I, I have the experience it's going to take to get our resources out of the ground, to get our fisheries fixed. Um, we're already looking at different ways, innovative ways to fix our fisheries for for every user group, not just any one particular group. And, uh, you know, we need to get these, uh, the PICA project opened up. So that was great. Um, we're still working on the Willow project. And, you know, there's a lot more projects in the, in the hopper um, on the North Slope. Uh, I know Oil Search has two more areas that they're going to open up. So, you know, we're looking at some major, major projects coming up in this state. Um, you know, there, there's there's uh, things here on the, in the inlet. You know, there's in the gas field on the peninsula. So there's a lot of resources out there that we can tap into. Right. And we're going to need experience to, get to do that. Well, here's my exhortation to you, Ron. Uh, you're genuine. You're real. Maybe not smooth, the smoothest talker out there, but uh, I don't think that that matters. I think people care about genuineness, and I think people care about uh, candidates who are, uh, again, genuine and uh, and honest about what's going on. A lot of times they can see through, like I said, the shine and the fluff and everything else. Brandy says in the chat room, Ron, we see you. You are the opposite of the other candidates. And then Sandy says, uh, av- avoiding him is going to cost you a vote he's kicking you in the dirt lying on you like they're doing to kevin mccabe you got to show up and and i agree even if you feel like maybe it's not the best uh, venue for you i mean like strategically you're like i can't win in these because i'm not as smooth that doesn't matter you've got to show up you've got to tell people exactly where you stand and highlight the differences and i think that is the important part uh the people who really matter will see through 
the uh, the shine and the veneer of uh, any kind of falsity or any kind of uh, uh, smoothness as you talk about. So uh, I encourage you to get out there and get that done and get your get your voice out there, be heard, and uh, you know we'll do anything we can to help you. But uh, at the same time, you got to get out there, and I'm I look forward to seeing you sound off and face off against some of these guys, uh, uh, some of this guy's uh, positions. And so people can see the differences. That's, that's what you need to do. Yeah. It's coming. Um, like I said, we're, we're looking at it now, trying to see when's going to work best, but it's coming. All right. Well, Ron Gillum, uh, candidate district seven. Thank you, my friend. We appreciate you uh, coming on board and we look forward to, uh, we look forward to seeing you, uh, uh, back in Juneau uh, in January. Thanks for coming on board and joining us today. All right. Appreciate the time, Michael. Appreciate it. Thank you for uh, coming on board. All right. Uh, that takes us uh, right into uh, the top of the hour. Ron Gillum, our guest. And uh, <laughs> this is Bill. Bill's comment is uh, is uh, kind of perfect. The devil is a smooth talking son of a bee. Uh, right here. That's it. That's right. I mean, it smooth talkers doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing to do. That's for sure. Um, all right, folks. Uh, where are we at? I see somebody already went over to uh, Twitch and signed up. Whoever that was, I can't see it right now as to who it was. But thank you. Um, I only need 14 more people to go over to, uh, twitch.tv slash Michael Duke show and sign up. Um, and we'll follow the show is what I want you to do. So yes, you'll have to put an account together and then you can, uh, follow the show over there. Uh, Twitch is owned by Amazon. So I think you can actually sign up with your Amazon account and do it from there. Um, I think that's probably uh, the easiest. My phone just rang, which means that uh, somebody's internet is probably not working correctly uh, because uh, Rob Myers uh, was uh, had the video link this morning, but it looks like maybe that was not working. Good morning. How, uh, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing all right, Michael. How about yourself? No, not too bad. Not too bad. I'm assuming that your uh, your 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 internet was not uh, successful this morning. No, I uh, I got on the computer this morning to see how she behaved, and and it it was moving slow even before trying to do any video, and uh, so I figured just just not going to chance it. Yeah, not going to chance it. Uh, you're Senate <clears throat> District B, but now you're Senate District. What's the new one today? Just hit me with it, so I don't have to go look it up real quick. Q Q Q. All right, Q Senate District Q. Rob Myers, uh, our guest here this morning. Uh, on the program, and uh, we're going to uh, get into that. Uh, I see you've been spending a lot of time on the uh, uh, on the road the last few days. What's uh, just just this is your busy season or what? A little bit. Um, it's it's a little bit of trying to make some money here at the end of summer uh, before things slow down on the slope. A little bit of kind of intentionally pulling back. Uh, because this is, you know, our, our municipal election coming up. So those guys are, are getting out there and doing a lot of door knocking and things like that. And I want to, you know, give them a little bit of their space, um, for the next month or so as well. Um, you know, they've, they've got, got their races to run and, and, you know, there's only so much airtime on the radio and, and, you know, so much, you know, space in people's mailboxes and stuff. So I want to give them a little bit of little bit of room. Wow. You're going to give them a break before it gets all hot and heavy, huh? That's, uh, that's, that's nice of you because you know, it's a, I mean, the next eight weeks, I can tell you are going to be, it's going to be an interesting political season for sure. So, 
we'll be uh, we'll be watching that and uh, and seeing what's going on. Uh, all right, Rob Myers is our guest, um, and we're going to dive into that here right now. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Here we go. Buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. That's right, across the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com where you'll find uh, where you'll find links to all my social media, uh, uh, you know, Facebook and YouTube and Twitch and everything else. You'll find links to the podcast and direct links. You can not only subscribe to the podcast there on your favorite podcasting app, but you also uh, on the podcasting tab can actually go out and just listen to them right there on the website. That makes it simple and easy. The live stream is there as well. And of course, on top of that, just like, you know, plain old boring terrestrial radio where it's everywhere and it's free. We're doing terrestrial radio as well across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, The Michael Duke Show. want to say thank you to the folks over there at Satellite West who are sponsoring the program uh, for this hour today for all your communications needs, uh, you know, satellite-driven needs. So whether it's internet or whether it's email or text messaging or phone calls via satellite to the, you know, all the remote locations in Alaska, at sea, in the mountains, on the plains, wherever it is, Satellite West has got you covered. Go out and check them out at SatelliteWest.com. Hour two of the big radio program today. We just finished up with Ron Gillum, who's candidate for State House and District 7 down in the peninsula. And now we transit 500 miles to the north and we get a chance to talk with uh, one of our favorite guests uh, up from the interior. It is Rob Myers, who is a GOP state senator in what was District B and is now District Q, like, you know, Q from James Bond. It is Myers, Rob Myers, uh, who joins us this morning. Good morning, Senator. How are you this morning? (laughs) Good morning, Michael. I'm not sure if I can live up to that introduction. I know, really. It's hype, 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 right? It's like, wow, look at that. Um, Rob, a couple reasons, obviously, why I wanted to have you on. First, we haven't talked to you in quite a while. And we want to uh, we want to get your take on everything that's going on from the rank choice voting to the outcome of the this last election cycle to policies and everything else. But also you've been putting out some very interesting stuff on your um, uh, on your Facebook page. And you sent me uh, an email uh, talking about. uh, talking about what's going on in the Republican Party, I myself have had a uh, 
I myself have had a lot of things to say, not necessarily good about the state Republican Party and how there's some fault to be found in uh, in what they're doing uh, and and how they've let, I guess, things go the way that they've gone. And so uh, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about this uh, because you put out, uh, you know, you wrote this thing talking about, uh, you know, the the Republican, I guess, civil war, this this act of, as I talked about, the Republicans circling the wagons and then all turning inwards and shooting each other. These are normally this is normally stuff that happens at a primary. Right. I mean, historically, it's mm-hmm. happened in the primary. And then the bedraggled, bullet ridden winner of the primary, you know, wanders on and staggers onto the main stage for the general uh, and tries <clears throat> to make it through there. Unfortunately, now all this infighting is going on in the general all through the primary and into the general. And this is what we saw really in the congressional race, I think. Um, and you've got kind of a theory as to why that's happening in Alaska a lot. And so I want to talk to you a, a little bit about that. First and foremost, your reaction to the uh, to the primary and the special general for the congressional race and the outcome. And I guess, did it surprise you? Did it, you know, were you shocked or <laughs> did you anticipate this? Well, no, it did surprise me, you know, after the first place votes came out i figured okay well you know i i voted for nick first and sarah second and i hoped that you know most everybody else that that voted for nick first uh did the same thing and i was just shocked that half of them didn't that that you know some of them bullet voted and some of them didn't uh that some of them put down paltola second i was i was very surprised at that um and you know when I when I was talking to people about ranked choice voting and and this this whole ballot measure two two years ago, what I told them was I said, this is a whole bunch of new, more complicated uh, voting rules, and for the most part, when you put in more complicated rules, the insiders get more power because they figure out how to game the system, and that's. Not all of what's going on, but it's some of what's going on. And, you know, a, a lot of the stuff that we were told about ballot measure two and, and ranked choice voting, all this stuff, it, it really didn't fit because, <clears throat> you know, what they told us was, well, everybody's going to be aiming for second place votes. So people are, aren't going to campaign negative anymore. Well, what we saw in the congressional race was the other way around because everybody was aiming to not be third. Both Nick and Nick and Sarah knew that Mary was going to finish first. So it was a race to not be the first one to drop off. And that's why they went negative on each other, because the system actually encouraged them to go negative on each other, which is the opposite of one of the things that they sold us on with the ranked choice voting. Right. No, it was supposed to be a kinder, gentler, right? A kinder, gentler. That and the removal of dark money from the equation, <laughs> right? That was the that was the whole pitch on this. Right. Um, and of course, as we've said, I mean, there have been, uh, we had Dr. Fred Van Bennecombe, uh on the program. He's a ranked choice voting expert. And he did talk about there in some states where ranked choice voting is uh, being used, that they, that there were candidates that actually got together and campaigned together and mm-hmm. said, vote me number one and vote him number two, or vote him number one and me number two. But whatever you do, vote for one of us, one and two. And it was kind of more of a, I mean, it just seemed like the antithesis of what happens in Alaska, because again, right. we, we have this horror. And I think maybe it's because Alaska is more, is it because we're poor, we're more independent minded is it because we're stubborn or cantankerous. I don't know, but it seems to be, although it does happen 
uh, across the country to some degree. It seems in Alaska, we've perfected it to an art form almost of, uh, you know, coming together and, and shooting each other. Uh, the fiscal conservatives or the or the, uh, the Republicans coming together and doing that. No, absolutely. And, and you know, I mean, you see some of this on the national level of, you know, I'm I'm more conservative than you and, and you know, I'm more of the Republican and you're not and, and stuff. But, yeah, in Alaska, it, it, it just does seem to be on steroids. Now, you say uh, in this piece to me, and I want to get into this discussion on the Republican, the so-called civil war amongst Republicans. This is kind of what you're describing, the circling the wagons as a as a civil war. Uh, you say, in large part, we're a Democratic state with a Republican veneer. And I think a lot of people would bristle at that, uh, but I don't think it's wrong. Um, so I, I want to talk about that. Uh, you know, how, you know, how in the hell can we be? I mean, this is a lot. We're red. You know, how, how, we voted for Trump. We did. How could we be a Democratic state with a Republican veneer? Give me your thoughts on why things happen in Alaska the way they do and uh, what you think the solution is. Yeah, no, no, no problem. OK, so let's. Uh... I'm, I'm going to kind of go into college professor mode here a little bit. So I think everybody is pretty well aware that at statehood, we were a Democrat state. Um, one reason that Alaska and Hawaii were let in when they were at the same time, basically, was because Alaska was a Democrat state and Hawaii was a Republican state. And so when you send their senators to the Senate, that's going to keep the balance the same because they had two Democrats and two Republicans. And well, you know, how times have changed, um, <laughs> you know, and and slowly over the years, over the course of about 35 years or so, we flipped to a Republican state. But here's my suggestion. We went conservative socially, but we never, at least at the state level, nationally is a little bit different, but at least at the state level, we never really went conservative fiscally. We went conservative socially. So, you know, you look at the voting history in Alaska. The last time Alaska voted for a Democrat for president was 1964. Over the course of the late 60s and on through the 70s, we started electing Republicans to our congressional delegation. So by the 1980 election, our entire congressional delegation was Republican. Right. And we had some Republican governors off and on, like Hickel and Hammond. But we didn't elect a Republican legislature until 1992. So it, it took us a, quite a while to flip within the state. And, you know, some of that was because of, you know, things happening nationally with Reagan and that kind of movement. And some of it, I think, was probably people coming up, you know, moving up here for the pipeline and stuff. And a lot of that moved us to the right conservative or excuse me, moved us to the right socially. But I don't think it really moved us to the right fiscally. I think that a lot of the rank and file like myself and, 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 you know, if you if you look at the last uh, Republican convention in Fairbanks, if you looked at the district level, you saw most of those people, I think, were pretty conservative fiscally. But you look higher up, whether you're talking about higher ups in the party or you're talking about elected officials and that that changed a little bit. That's there. It's not as conservative fiscally, because what also happened during the 70s and 80s was we had the, the, the oil boom. Prudhoe got discovered in 68, oil, the money starts coming in in 69, oil starts flowing in 77, and really we established this pattern within our state of how our economy was going to work, is oil companies that drill for oil, a bunch of their money in terms of royalties and severance taxes ended up in the hands of the state, and then the state starts 
doling out the cash. And that's the support for something like a third of our economy. Uh, depends on, you know, exactly what time period and how you counted. Um, but, you know, they're handing out cash in terms of <clears throat> uh, nonprofit grants, in terms of grants to municipalities, in terms of, of state employees. And the one that I think really gets overlooked is in terms of state of uh, state contracts. And, and, you know, you have a lot of companies over the course of the 70s and the 80s that start looking at the state as the way that they're going to make their money. And uh, you, you can look at it and say, well, you know, we got to provide these services somehow. And yeah, that's true. And maybe it's better to have the private sector as a contractor rather than the government providing things directly. Okay, maybe. But what that does is it creates this incentive for companies to lobby the government to get themselves more money, whether or not we need the service, whether or not it makes sense financially for the state. But you end up with with companies that that is now their bread and butter. You know, a couple of examples. Um, you go to uh, GCI. So if you go back to 2015, 2016, when we you know first entered this fiscal crisis, GCI was pushing uh, to cut the dividend and right. save the state budget that way. You know, right. they were they were real heavy into that. Well, it's because a big part of GCI's business at that time. And now they've been bought out by somebody out of state, so it may have changed. But a big part of their business is they provided internet service to the state, to school districts, to municipalities. And so they're looking at this and going, well, if they start cutting the state budget, that could affect our bottom line. And, you know, that's just that's a significant problem because now you have a business lobbying the state to keep the spending going, which is very backwards from what you're used to seeing in most states at the national level where the business community looks at it and says, no, we, we kind of want a smaller government because we want less regulation. We want less competition from, from the government. We want uh, lower taxes, lower spending. Right. And, and so it, it creates this very flipped incentive. And so kind of my argument is that at the state level, anyway, the, a lot of the establishment uh, in the Republican Party for a long time now stuck with that old pattern that was created in the 70s and 80s because that's how the state's economy worked. And, you know, for 100 years, the, the Republican Party has been the party of business. Well, the problem is that in Alaska, business and government in a lot of ways are aligned. Right. Well, they're in bed together. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've seen that. And and, and I think the argument here uh, that you're making is a very, very cogent uh, uh, argument and very valid because essentially moving along to social conservatism was pretty easy because of the Reagan revolution and everything mm -hmm. else. People were moving that way. But because the revenue from the state had always been derived from um, a direct access to the resources and not having to come out of the people's pocket, they essentially, and this is what Hammond warned about, they essentially were really not paying attention to it. They didn't care about fiscal conservatism because it didn't hit them directly in the pocketbook that they could see. Now, it has an effect and a knock-on effect, and there's many other things that are going on, but because well, people don't feel the pain directly, so to speak, of direct taxation or anything else, they didn't have to be fiscally conservative. Right. And it, and there's a big difference between I'm a fiscal conservative 
because I agree with that philosophically. And I'm a fiscal conservative because that affects my wallet. Yeah. And, and, you know, it creates a very different set of incentives for people. And so it's easy for you to say, well, I'm a fiscal conservative because I believe that way. But when it comes down to it, <clears throat> if it's going to affect my bottom line, well, I'm going to go, you know, it, I can't blame anybody. This is just the way it goes. If you're set up that your bottom line is tied in with the government that way, then, you know, ultimately, whatever you, regardless of what you believe, you're going to tend to go towards what, uh, what is going to benefit you the most and, and, you know, help you put, put food on the table. Rob Myers is our guest, GOP state Senator for district Q. He's up running for reelection, but right now we're talking about, I guess, philosophy. We're talking about what, what is, you know, why we are the way we are in this state. Uh, Rob has had some, uh, what I think are very good insights into this and we're going to continue uh, with this in just a moment. Uh, don't go anywhere. Uh, we'll continue on the other side with Rob Myers, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Don't forget, you can always come out and join us on Facebook, on YouTube, or on Twitch and uh, join the chat room. Ask questions there. Have conversations during the commercial breaks and more. Just go to Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show for the easiest or Twitch.tv slash Michael Duke Show. We'll be back with more in just a moment. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, Rob Myers is our guest uh, here in the chat room uh, during the break. Um, I really, and again, I want to dive down into this because I think Rob is hitting on, he's he's kind of culminated and taken a lot of the things that I've been saying and he, he, he distilled it down for me here. I mean, when I read this, I was like, yes, this is what, I, yes, yes. And he kind of brought it into a cohesive, you know, a theorem, so to speak, uh, to speak the professor language uh, that he's got going on right now. But it's right. I mean, Rob, you're so right. I mean, here we were a state that was Democrat, uh, that, you know, that was uh, it was it was blue to its core. It jumped on. We started seeing that money come along. The Reagan revolution rolled around and we started to see that groundswell, plus all the people from the pipeline and everything else. And we became a much more red state, but because we never really had skin in the game, so to speak, as far as the funding, the funding of government and and the services and everything else, we never really had to face the reality of fiscal conservatism because... why, why bother? We're not being affected by it. Right. I mean, that was kind of the, that's kind of been the reaction. Right. You know, and, and, you know, there's, there's been this rift, I think between the, the, the establishment and the rank and file for a long time. And so you, you see when, when the, the rank and file can have their voice in things like putting together the party platform, the party platform looks largely fiscally conservative like you would expect from republican party but if you look at the actual operations of the day-to-day stuff it looked very different and um you know for for 20 25 years however you want to phrase it you know we had basically we had enough money in the state to paper over the cracks 
you know, everybody could get their little piece, excuse me, whether that's, you know, this piece going to this business here or people getting their dividends or what have you. And we ne it never really came to a head until 2015 oil prices crash, 2016 Walker cuts the PFD. And now all of this stuff gets exposed. And that's what, we, yeah, I, you know, I think that's the pattern that we've been seeing in the party and in the state for the last uh, half, six or eight years now is, is you're finally seeing that rift exposed. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and I, I don't want to get too, I don't want to get too far into the weeds <laughs> of this because I don't want to have to repeat ourselves uh, with some good things. But I mean, I do, I mean, I want to make some points about, you know, labels and, and, you know, people, Republicans and Democrats and things like that. And I want to talk a little bit of history too, because you and I have had some offline conversations about, you know, the history of the state and the spending and the appetite for spend and, you know, what is nice to have versus must have and things like that. And so those are all areas that I definitely uh, want to get want to get into and uh, and talk about here. Um, uh, Rob, are you I guess I should ask you in more of a frivolous question, but I mean, how are you spending your off time? Are you doing nothing but working? Uh, I mean, I know you're still doing work as a senator as well, but are you are you just basically working your day job in the meanwhile, trying to get all that done before you have to go back to, to work in Juneau? A little bit, yeah, for, for now, for these last couple of weeks especially, um, and I will for probably most of September. Um, you know, we're, it, it, you know, trucking in Alaska is, is tied to the seasons, just like a lot of jobs. And so, you know, trying to get some, some money made before the, uh, before the snow flies and, uh, you know, before campaign season hits, I figure most figure October, I'm probably going to take just about the entire month off. Um, so trying to, trying to put a little money in the bank for now, I still got to put food on the table. I got a mortgage to pay just like most people do. And, um, so yeah, I'm, you know, 70 hour weeks, that's uh normal stuff for me. Yeah, no, I, I feel that for sure. Are you, are you, are you the ice road trucker guy? Are you doing ice road stuff too? Or are you trying to make most of your, most of your hay in the spring, summer and fall? Well, I mean, yeah, ice road up here is kind of a, a little <laughs> bit of a misnomer, but, um, I mean, I mean, I'm primarily heading up the hall road over the last three months. I've put, uh, what, 35,000 miles on a truck. Um, but, and it's been about 32, 33,000 of it's been on a haul road. So, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. that's most of where I'm going. All right. Well, Rob, hold the line. We're going to jump back into it. Here we go. Folks, like and share this video, like and follow the show page. And for this morning, if you would do me a favor and go over to Twitch TV and like and follow over there, I only need 15 more. Here we go. All right, Rob Myers is our guest, uh, GOP state senator in District Q. He's running for re-election. But we're talking a little bit of history. We're not talking about campaign stuff right at this moment because Rob has uh, come up with a, an interesting description, and we were just talking about it, why Alaskan, <clears throat> why Alaskans seem to be uh, very good, especially in the Republican Party, at turning, you know, circling the wagons and shooting inward. 
uh, and 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 why they are the way they are. Rob, one of the things that I've been saying is really these days labels don't matter. I mean, and labels by I guess everybody's labeled in one form or another. But I guess what I would say is the most well-known labels: Republican, Democrat, you know that kind of stuff. Uh, you know right. whether you got an elephant or a donkey on your lapel. Uh, we could have a half a dozen Republicans lined up, and we could have six different flavors of philosophy that are wide and far from what many of us would consider to be core conservative values. And you're saying that in part, that is because in the history of the state, we have never really had to pay for our state government out of our own pockets. It's never come directly from us. And in fact, it's been encouraged by business and crony capitalism to keep that government spend high. And uh, and I think we need to go back for just a second and talk about what's nice to have versus what is must have. I mean, we've got a lot of the state constitution mandates that we have infrastructure, education and public safety. Those are really the big three things. And although we poured some money into a, a lot of these things, it's not always been effective. Education is the second largest uh, expenditure in the state. And yet we continually full, fall at the bottom of the barrel as far as scholastic achievement. Um, but our infrastructure, not great. Uh, in fact, pretty poor. Our public safety is so-so, um, but we still spend ever-increasing amounts of money. And I think this is a this is the change. Now, you've talked about the size and scope of state government historically when we were under Democrats. I hate to say it; it's almost like we should be under Democratic control uh, because back <laughs> in the day, uh, before we got that first big royalty payment, the state budget was what 162 million dollars for the entire state in 1969. I mean, that was that was it. All the I think states it was 140. 140. I mean, whatever. 150 million. Let's just split the baby yeah. and say it's 150 million. And that was the whole state budget. And then we got that first royalty payment of 900 plus million dollars, almost a billion dollars. And I mean, they gave sailors a bad name. They were going through it like, you know, drunken sailors. And and Hammond talked about this. He said, you see this? This is what's happening. And if people are disconnected, state government is going to grow. Now, you ran the numbers uh, on the state budget of what it was mm-hmm. that day to what it should have been today. And you came up with what? Somewhere in the mid two point something billion dollar range. Is that right? I think it was like 2.1 as of two years ago. You know, it's probably gone up a little bit more since then because of recent inflation and stuff. But yeah, it should have been <clears throat> should have been roughly 2.1 billion uh as far as uh just the the ugf side of the funding uh these days you know and, and which is the the majority of the state funds then you got federal that comes in on top of that but yeah it should have been about 2.1 if you had just taken that 1968 budget and adjusted it for inflation and population right and of course our ugf spend this last year was what six something i mean it was yeah, something along them lines. Yeah. I'd have to go back and check the numbers. Yeah, but it's, somewhere, it's over $6 billion. So uh, what does that tell you? I mean, what does that tell you when you adjust for where we were at, population and inflation, and we should be over $2, 2500000000 billion, and we're at 6 what does that tell you as a senator, as a student of history, but also as a senator? So okay, if you look at Alaska historically, there has only been one real cap on our spending. And that has been the amount of money that we've had available. Anytime the state gets more money available, it spends more money. You go all the way back to that first oil lease sale with that 900 million. And they couldn't figure out how to spend 900 million in a year. 
But they figured out how to spend it pretty darn quick because they had it gone by about 1974, 1975. And the the worst part about it was, you know, when the oil companies first came in and said, yeah, we're going to build this pipeline, they thought they were going to have it run up and running by about 1973. And so the state ran through this money. And by 75, they're out of cash and the oil isn't flowing yet. And they went, okay, well, now what? So instead of cutting their budget back down to what it had been, they ran this deal with the oil companies and said, well, we're going to we're going to put in this temporary um, oil reserves tax and we're going to tax you for a couple more years until the pipeline's done. And then we'll switch over to the regular production tax. And that's what's going to fund everything. So that's what they did for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> so then then you have the really big boom starting about 79 because oil prices shot up again with the I- Iran um, embargo and stuff like that. And so in the in the first half of the 80s, you saw our our um, spending shoot up. And that's when you actually saw that first uh, spending cap go in. They just constructed it so poorly it never made a difference Um, because basically the year that the spending cap got put into the Constitution was the year that oil prices started to drop. And so it, it never made a difference. Uh, and then you had the crash in 86 and we kind of got saved because the prices came back up and production was actually still growing at the time. And then they kind of stayed flat through the 90s. And then you had the little crash there in about 99, a combination of, you know, the, the economy slowing down a little bit and the, the um, Asian financial crisis. And so that crashed the oil prices. And that's when you saw Tony Knowles put that thing on the ballot, says, uh, should we start spending the permanent fund on government? And everybody just said, hell no. Right. 83, um, <laughs> 83% of Alaskans said not only no, but hell no. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it was six to one. And, uh, you know, the state kind of muddled through. They drew on drew on the CBR and some savings for a little bit until prices started coming back up around 02 or so. And then... Uh, you know, we then we've seen this this latest boom. We have this this huge boom in prices between about 06 and 14, thereabout. And you know, kind of like in the 80s, the 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 spending didn't rise quite as fast as the uh, quite as fast as the prices went up, but it still it still rose and it was still going up as the prices were starting to fall. And because we couldn't rein ourselves back in, as long as the money was available, we were going to spend it. And so by the time you get to, what was it, 2014, you know, we're, we got 90 buck a barrel oil and they're basing the budget on 105 barrel oil. Right. And, uh, you know, cause we couldn't rein it in. And then we come back in 2015 and we go, oh no, the sky's falling. Cause now we're down at like 50 bu- barrel oil. And, you know, we, we've got a budget of hundred barrel oil. Well, yeah, it's cause you didn't plan ahead you didn't restrain yourself and so if the if the the budget is basically we're going to spend whatever's available whether or not we need it well i took a look at that this last year and i said well okay so we shouldn't be spending more than we need to because we know the oil is going to come back down oil prices are up right now but we know it's going to come back down so if we took our 2021 budget and replicated it in 2022 we had so much oil money coming in, we didn't need a draw off of the permanent fund except for the dividend. So I said, well, let's just eliminate the draw for government. So I ran a budget amendment on the floor to do that. It failed seven to 12. Right. Because our 
one of our big problems is that we have no limit on our spending because we're going to spend every dollar that's available because we have all of these groups around the state that push to get their share of that oil pie, or now it's permanent fund pie. And we don't have an equivalent pushback from the citizens going stop spending. And we don't have that balance anymore. You know, we don't have that balance that most states have. And so the state government just has, they have plenty of incentives to spend. They have very few incentives to not spend. Right. Well, I mean, you, you make a point out and you just, as you just laid out, it's only since that oil money really started to go away and dry up. And mm-hmm. then and then the Walker cut of the PFD and everything else that people are starting to wake up and this voice of fiscal conservatism has started to gain traction. I mean, I've been preaching it for 20 years, but I was always in the super minority on that uh, because I could see where things were. I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I could see I could do basic math and go, you can't continue to spend more than you take in and expect that it's going to work out. The problem is, as you point out, is that all of the old guard Republicans are still stuck on this old model of keeping government big, using all the money in the room and sucking up any dollar that you can find. And the old guard Republican Party is they're the ones that are in charge of the Republican Party, the old guard Republicans. And that's why we see like Bert Stedman's, et cetera, uh, doing this kind of stuff is because that's where they came from. They have never had to face fiscal responsibility. Right. I mean, you could see this. You can see this coming. I mean, math is one side of it. History is the other side of it. We were based on oil prices. We know that oil prices are cyclical. We also know that oil fields eventually run out. And, you know, we've got that that oil production decline curve. Um, You know, it was going to happen eventually. It's just a question of when. And, you know, we didn't face up to that. And we we you know, we 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 thought we faced up to it when we uh, when we put in the permanent fund and we said well we're saving this money for later well we never we never really specified what it's for we just said we're saving it for later okay are we saving it for government or are we saving it for the people is this going to go into the economy or is this going to keep our government going and we we haven't really had to face up to that you know because for 35 40 years we had enough money to paper over the cracks and it wasn't until about 2015 and 2016, oil prices crashed, then Walker cuts the dividend, that those cracks got exposed. And that's why we've been having these crazy fights for the last six, eight years now. Right. Well, and it's ironic that the only time, like you said, the government, they always <clears throat> basically hoovered up all the money in the room and spent it. And it was only because of the, you know, of the boom of the, uh, of the late aughts that we were able to put all that money aside in the constitutional budget reserve and we had, you know, $17 billion in savings. And yet, ironically, we then turned around and just sucked it all back out again. I mean, it was, you know, we finally did something right. We finally didn't consume all the money because quite honestly, how do you spend that amount of money? But in the, in, you know, in one year kind of thing. And we right. were able to save all that. And then ironically, over the next five years, it was the one thing that kept us from from analyzing the fact that something's broken. I mean, it was the shield and the and the 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 pablum, the 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 sugar pill that basically said, "Oh, nothing's wrong. You're fine. Just keep going." And that's where we that's how we ended up where we're at today. Right, and you can see a little bit of that same pattern here over the last two years. You know, 2021 with the oil price crash because of COVID, 
we finally, I think we were finally starting to face up to our situation. And that's why you had the fiscal plan working group start to actually sit down and you saw people from all sides, all, all sections of the aisle come together and go, okay, we have to fix the problem. This is not working anymore. And they put something together and 2022 rolls around, oil prices are going up. And well, no, no, we really don't have to fix the problem because we don't have a problem anymore. Well, we're going to have a problem here in about another three, four years. It's just it's just getting delayed again. And, uh, you know, that's that's the same pattern. We, we haven't broken loose of that same economic pattern. All we've done is we've changed a fund source. So instead of taking oil money and having the state distribute that out, now we're taking permanent fund money and having the state distribute that out. And really, to me. One of the scariest parts of that is we haven't sat down and said, you know, we, we've sat down and said, all right, this fixes it for the next two years. We haven't sat down and said, what effect is that going to have on our state over the next 10, 20, 30 years? How is that going to warp things around here? Yeah, no, absolutely. There, There's no long-term thinking in that regard. Rob Myers is our guest. Uh, we're going to continue with him. I want to get into a little bit of policy and how we fix it. Although Rob has, again, put out some fantastic posts on his uh, on his election Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Myers for Alaska. And he talks about this specifically and why we can't seem to cut the budget. There's some really good stuff out there. We're going to continue with Rob here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now. Uh, thank you, by the way, to Kathy and Cheese and Brian, um, who uh, went out to Twitch and uh, liked my uh, liked the Twitch stream there. Uh, that means I only need 10 more people out of the 71 that are watching us across all the platforms right now. 71 people are watching. If just 10 of you went over to Twitch TV and uh, liked and followed, you can come right back. You don't have to stay over there, although it's a great platform. Uh, but if you would do that, that would help me uh, with uh, that would help me get the uh, uh you know take that take my twitch platform to the next level so again we're i've i've given up for right now on the youtube because it's you got to get a thousand listeners a uh, thousand subscribers but on twitch i only need 10 more see how that works so go over to twitch.tv slash michael duke show uh links up in the chat room right now uh and uh and like and subscribe if i hit to, if i get to the 50 followers today i will be a happy happy man uh rob myers is our guest you know rob this is just what it, it kills me this is literally the perfect storm of you know uh, a non um how do i put this i guess a um uh, a hidden, I guess, hidden tax, a hidden funding mechanism that the people never, okay. f- never feel or see, along with a crony capitalism that is, uh, you know, that is rampant in this state. In addition to that, a donor class that is in the top 20 percentile that don't want to have any form of taxation placed on them. I mean, this really is kind of the perfect storm of this is how you get a government that's fundamentally broken. Right. You know, I mean, I think I talked about this the last time I was on the show with you is that there's two different definitions of a tax. There's a legal tax and there's an economic tax and a legal tax. No, we have we have very little of that. You know, you can talk about like the gas tax and the cigarette tax. 
but the but you know a, a sales tax or an income tax or some kind of broad-based tax like like most states have no we don't have that here the issue is that on the economic side of a tax you define a tax as any dollar that this that the government takes out of the economy and we've got the largest tax burn in the country because whether it's coming out of the oil or it's coming out of the permanent fund that is money that could have gone into the private economy and stimulated the private economy, but instead the government's holding on to it and doing their thing with it. And who's going to be smarter about spending the money? Is it going to be individuals or is it going to be the government? That's, I mean, God, isn't that the, isn't that the major question for, I mean, is, is it the individual, isn't that the crux of, of, of Liberty? Is it going to be the individual or is it going to be the government? And it just seems mm-hmm. like in this state, as independent, as rugged minded, as the can do, as the frontier spirit that, you know, we all seem to think it seems like we are still one of the most dependent states on government in the union. And it's in part because we took that easy, you know, the first hit's always free. We took that easy <laughs> drug of easy money in the very beginning and we've never looked back. Right. And, you know, the, the, you know, I, I've been talking so much about oil money. You know, the, the one part I forgot to mention up to this point is what the other part of it, what we have done with our economy is we take that oil money that the state has and then leverage it with federal money. And so it's federal money and state oil money. And that's what drives a significant portion of our economy. And, um, you know, one, one thing that, you know, we, we'll put the two together. One program that uses both of Medicaid. When I first got elected uh, two years ago, even before I got sworn in, one of the first meetings I had was a group here in Fairbanks that sat down with me and said, please don't cut Walker's Medicaid expansion because they had been expanding their business to take advantage of all of the new Medicaid patients and they didn't want to have their bread and butter cut. Well, it's always that way, isn't it? It's always, I mean, we saw that with the governor's vetoes, all these, I mean, not to, not to, not to cast aspersions, but we saw all these Republicans were like, yes, we're fiscally conservative. Yes, we're this. And then the governor vetoed a boatload of stuff and all he needed was 16 to concur. And they're like, yes, we wanted to cut, but oh, not that one in my district, because that's, Mm -hmm. that's super important. You know, we, we couldn't, oh, but not that one. That's super, you know, I mean. That's that's part of our problem right there is that it's not in kind of a not in my backyard kind of thing. Uh, Rob Myers is our guest. Again, go out to Twitch and sign up there. Follow there if you would. Uh, we're going to jump back into it uh, here. Oh, actually, I got one more minute. I, I, I did the wrong thing. I pushed the wrong timer. So I'm only a minute ahead here. Uh, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Rob Meyer is our guest. Again, you can go out to his Facebook page, and he's got a couple great posts about this specifically, uh, Rob and I could just sit here and talk for uh, an hour easily about the you know the history of the state and why we we are the way we are. But I do want to get back into it with him on the uh, on the specific issues and and you know uh, the con con and cuts and and the fiscal policy working group and get his take on those things. Um, it's a pleasure to speak with him, and we will continue. If you want to go out there, though, go to Facebook.com, Myers for Alaska, and we'll uh, we'll do that. Okay, that ding was for real this time. I just clicked his Facebook page and dropped it in the chat room. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-Based, Free-Thinking Radio.
Well, I don't know how we got here so fast, but we're in the final segment of the show. I mean, it's literally the fastest two hours in radio. Uh, Rob Myers and I are discussing the history of the state and how we got where we got to, uh, which, again, Rob, I mean, you and I could spend another hour talking about just this topic alone. But I think it's time to move into, you know, now that we've analyzed the past a bit, let's analyze the future and say, okay, so how do we fix this? Uh, you have a post up on your Facebook page, Myers for Alaska on Facebook, that basically says, you know, why can't we seem to cut the budget? And you outline why, you know, it's, you know, why it's possible. You say you can mathematically, it's a political problem. And I've talked about that a lot. I talk about political will. But if Rob Myers goes back to the state Senate this next year, and let's say all the stars align and we end up with a majority in the House and the Senate and, uh, and, a, and a good Republican governor. I don't know, you know who it ends up being, but let's just say that. So where do we start, Rob? I mean, what, what, is the, what is the targeting and the solution required for sound fiscal cuts that will bring us in line in the future? So really what we have to do is we have to address these structural reasons of why we don't cut. Why do we keep expanding whenever the dollar figures are available? And, you know, really the fiscal policy working group, what, you know, whether it was because we had some good conservative Republicans on there like Shelley Hughes and Mike Schauer, or whether it's because the Democrats finally were wanting to actually fix the problem or, or what have you, they actually hit on a lot of the pieces that need to happen uh in order for us to fix our problem um we have to rein in our spending so we need a new spending cap that works so uh james kaufman proposed one i proposed one in the senate we have to have a spending cap that's going to work we have to keep the government from spending the uh the permanent fund money you know and so we have to be able to put the dividend into the into the constitution as well um you know a scary part when you start looking at it, this is again something that nobody has looked at for the next 10 20 30 years down the line is that for the last 20 years i i, I ran the numbers from 99 to 2019 because COVID doesn't count um the the permanent fund on average actually grew about 50 percent faster than our state's economy did do we want a government that has access to all of that money so that the government can grow 50% faster than the rest of the state. That that's, that's a little scary to me. Right? No, absolutely. You know? I mean, and then that's, again, that is a prime example of what I'm talking about, caring more about the growth of the government sector versus the private sector. Any politician who cares about his constituency in my mind should care deeply. I mean, should be shocked and dismayed that government economy grows at at fifty percent faster than the private economy. That's not that's not how a healthy system works. No, absolutely not. And you know, and and that's another thing to to think about is that as government has depended for the last forty odd years, fifty years now, I guess, on oil. What have has the government cared about? Well, primarily, the government has cared about the health of the oil drilling sector which, okay, that's fine. But, you know, keep, just think about that, what that means. Government's going to care about where its money comes from, which makes sense because you and I care about where our money comes from too, right? That's what, what we pay attention to. Right. You know, this, that isn't, you know, some conspiracy theory. That's just human nature. Well, think about that now. If we're going to transition over to an economy, excuse me, transition our government over to most of their money comes from the permanent fund, well, all of a sudden, that means that the government doesn't have an interest 
in maintaining the private economy in this state. They have an interest in watching what the stock market does. Right. And, you know, the worst part about it is what our state government here in Alaska can do. We can't have any effect on that stock market. That is so much bigger and broader than than what happens within our state that it really just turns our state government and our citizenry to be very passive. We're just waiting for that next piece to come in from outside, whether that means we're waiting for some big multinational oil company to do something uh, or we're waiting for the next big boom from the stock market or whatever. That's just that's just really scary to think about is that it really removes the initiative from anything that can happen here within the state. So you have to get the state to not be dependent on that money from the permanent fund for our state government, because it's just going to warp the thinking. Right, exactly. Well, and I and I think uh, ideally, as we <clears throat> excuse me, as we uh, as we look at what's going on, we understand that people have got to become more engaged by this. They have to be paying attention to that public or to the private economy, rather, uh, and we should be benefiting just as much, if not more, than the state, because that's what really helps drive. Uh, that's what really helps drive overall the state economy. And we have to analyze the fact that. This is free, you know, this this free money is really in the long run not free, especially if if they had been fiscally conservative from the very beginning. If the state government had been very had been fiscally conservative from the very beginning and once we set up the permanent fund, we would probably have a permanent fund dividend these days that probably two Two hundred billion dollars. I mean, just if they had been more conservative and put that money back into the earnings, put it money back into the corpus, put money into savings, and done those things. Instead, it's like a teenager with a credit card and no idea of no no concept of having to pay the bill down the line. If we don't do something now, though, we I mean, we've now reached the end of the rope, right? There's almost nothing right. left in savings. There's nothing there. It, you know, now they again they're transitioning to not an oil economy, but to a dividend or to a, a permanent fund economy. These things have got to be fixed. And the fiscal policy working group plan, like you said, has this smorgasbord of holistic approach of everything, including new oil taxation, including potential for revenues from the people and, and some form of sales tax or something like that, cuts. Mm-hmm spending caps. I mean, all the things that there is some solutions in here that we should be talking about. Right. Absolutely. And, and you know, you brought up the the concept of, of some sort of a, a broad-based uh, personal tax. And, you know, we, for those of us on the conservative side, we look at taxes and go, taxes are bad. And I would agree with that. But, you know, a couple of questions I have, again, one is, as I just mentioned, you pay attention to where your money comes from. If you're not getting any money, from the private economy directly, you don't care about the private economy. Second question I have is, if we have our money coming from the permanent fund and the permanent fund can grow so much faster than the private economy around here, then what is scarier really? Is it a government that has the power to tax you or is it a government that can grow as fast as it wants to without having to tax you because then you have no control over it right right you have no skin in the game you have no say 
Um, right. I've often said if they gave everybody the direct resources of the state, if they gave them the cash from that directly and then issued them a tax bill the next day, there would be a revolution in this state because you'd get this big, juicy, you know, twenty or $30,000 check per person. And then they'd issue you a, they'd issue a bill for, you know, just under, you know, $1,000 less than what you just got. And they'd be like, there you go. People would be pitchforks and torches all day long. That's for sure. Rob, we're coming down to the end here, uh, the last uh, minute or so. I want to give you the floor. We really didn't talk much about your positions, but I want to give you to give a pitch and then how do people see you and find out about you, et cetera. Right. Uh, so you can, you can find me, uh, you can look at, at my Facebook page, Myers for Alaska. You can look at uh, my campaign website is myersforalaska.com. Uh, you can find me out on the road. I'm, I'm still working. Uh, and, but, uh, I'm, I'm out and about, uh, I, I try to keep the Facebook page updated with any events going on where I'm going to be things like that. Um, just kind of final pitch here. What, you know, we are really at a kind of a decision point for our state and we got two big philosophies going on and, and you've touched on this, this really cuts across the labels, uh, across, you know, all, all the, you know, liberal conservative, Republican, Democrat, the two the two philosophies that I see going are you got one side that says that what grows our state, what grows our economy, what builds our what builds our communities is is the state government and its spending. And I can't agree with that. What builds our yeah. state is our individuals, our families, our businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Rob Myers, our guest, MyersforAlaska.com. Rob, hold the line. Folks, we're out of time. Tomorrow's Firearms Friday. Be kind, live well, love one another. All right, Rob, didn't mean to cut you short there, but I'm a slave to the clock. So anything else? I mean, I, I mean, I agree. I think the problem is, is that we keep trying to label each other. Um, and, and and not that that's a, we always put labels on everything, but when, especially when it comes to elections and many people who are uninformed, haven't taken the time, they go in. They see the R or the D or whatever they want to see there. They see the liberal conservative kind of thing, and they just go, okay, well, this must be the guy or the gal that I need to pick. And uh-huh. unfortunately, in this state, that doesn't hold true. It really should be, uh, you know, I would love to see a pro-PFD, anti-PFD stance in the, and see what the elections look like then. You know, that, it, that it's, a, it's, a, it's either a PPFD or APFD at the end of, the, at the end of their name. And uh, I think you would see a complete difference in the uh, in the outcomes of these elections. But uh, uh, your thoughts here, I'll give you a couple minutes to wrap up. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, Ron touched on this in the first hour is, you know, you got to go out and vet your candidates because the, the, the label that you've got that kind of comes from a national stance, it doesn't really fit in this state. Our, our circumstances are so much different than what's going on at the national level that uh, it just it just doesn't fly. And you have to look at that at that label that people the end of people's names and go, yeah, I'm going to take that with a grain of salt and, you know, actually talk to them about specific issues. And as we've talked about before, you have to ask very pointed questions because, it, you know, you, there's been so many candidates that you go, well, do you support the PFD? And they say yes. And you go, oh, perfect. And then they get in there and they said, well, I supported a leftover PFD. Or I supported a sustainable PFD or I, you know, (laughs) and uh, that's not what you were, what you had in mind when you asked that question. Right. 
Well, we've got to become informed voters. I mean, I think, again, you know, we know that there's a wide swath of the population who the only time they think about voting is probably on voting day. And they go in there and they circle the R or the D because mom and dad were an R or a D or they've been lifelong R's and D's and they're not really paying it. And, and they think, again, they've done their duty and, and not to criticize them, but there has to be some forethought. There has to be some research. It's going to take an investment of time if you want things to be. Uh, to be correct, because, again, it's so confusing, especially in this state with the way the labels are placed. And if we don't educate ourselves and, and encourage our neighbors to educate themselves, then we're failing. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to somebody and, and we're talking about you know, post-election or something. We're talking about something and they're like, well, I voted for so and so. And I'm like, why did you vote for them? Well, because, you know, they they were the well, but do you realize that there was another candidate in the race that may have been of the same party or maybe of a different party who believes in all the things that you believe in? Well, no, I just you know, I just pulled the lever because I pulled the you know, we've got to we've got to get more people invested in the system um, in an educated way, not just to participate for participation's sake. You know, I was uh, along those lines. I had an interesting conversation when I was at door knocking two years ago. I, I talked to this guy and he said, do you put your party on your sign? And I said, well, no, I didn't. And he said, everybody should put their party on their sign so that I can look at that and go, that's the guy I'm voting for, or that's not the guy I'm voting for. And I said, okay, well, let me ask you a question. If Lisa Murkowski put Republican on her sign, what would you think about that? And he went, ah, uh, and I said, exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, you've got to be more educated than that. You've got to do it. And it behooves us, the people who are taking the time to educate ourselves, to go out to our friends and neighbors. I mean, we might have to make an extra investment in time. Sure, we've taken the time to educate ourselves, but now are you educating your friends and family, the people that you work with and everything else? Or are they just going to go in and pull the lever for the R or the D because that's who they pull the lever for forever? We, we've right. got to do that. It, it, we have to, if we want to save what's going on and fix what's going on, we've got to do it. Um, Rob Myers, um, as always, my friend, it's a pleasure. Like I said, we could just chat about the philosophies of this forever. I, I love these kind of conversations. I appreciate you coming on board. And um, uh, I want to talk to you again, maybe in a couple of weeks, one more time before we get to the election day, if you're willing to do it. Uh, yeah, get a hold of me. We'll we'll figure something out. Maybe figure out, well when I'm going to be in cell range. Yeah, maybe the next time we'll do it all on. Uh, maybe the next time we'll do it all on policy instead of in philosophy. We'll actually get to talk about your get to talk about your platform points. How about that? So that'll be yep. good. Uh, all right, Rob Myers. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate you uh, coming on board, uh, folks. That brings us to the end now. The stream is going to continue for about another five minutes because, you know, I got to do the podcast and everything else. So now is your time. If you haven't gone over to Twitch TV and uh, and followed the show yet, I only need nine more. Nine more people. Six people have already followed the show. But on your way out, if you'd go over, follow the link in the screen right now to Twitch TV. Sign up. Follow the show. If I get to 50 tomorrow, we're going to have a happy dance. Uh, but the show, the stream's going to go on for another five minutes, so I'm getting ready to leave. You can, as you get ready to leave, just go over to Twitch, sign up, follow the show, give it a heart, do whatever you need to do on Twitch, and we'll uh, we'll get that. All right? So, uh, I would love, uh, love for you to do that. Please do it right now. Um, all right, that's it for today, folks. Thank you for coming on board. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Go follow on Twitch. 
back with more tomorrow. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show